Content in this episode may be graphic or triggering. Please take care while listening. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further, because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further, because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Attention all true crime and mystery lovers. Are you tired of reading the same old detective stories? Well, look no further, because my book, The Case, is here to satisfy your cravings for a thrilling and suspenseful read. Follow my journey as I unravel a complicated homicide case while almost losing my own family in the process. The case has twists and turns at every corner. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very end. But don't just take our word for it. Crime and Cookie Juice followers everywhere are raving about the case. They can't get enough of the clever plots and intriguing characters that keep them guessing until the final pages. So why wait? Purchase the case on Amazon today and experience the excitement for yourself. Trust us, you won't regret it. Welcome back to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. Tonight, we have a truly fun crew of guys here. And, and oh, I'm sorry, but you know Fatima, <laughs> you always have been my little sister. It's just like one of the guys. So look, we're going to talk about some heavy content, but it's going to be an extremely fun night. So I want to bring my partner in. Partner, you got anything? What's going on? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation this evening because we have some cool guests. And like you said, it's always heavy conversation, heavy content, but we're going to also try to keep it light and to have fun with it. And that's why we have these two guests on tonight, because Chris and I, we like to every once in a while bring you a podcast that we are obsessed with, a podcast we're enjoying and something that's teaching us because that's the goal of our podcast. We like to keep you all informed and learning, but also like to have a good time while doing it. So this is a really interesting podcast. I want to tell you about it. It is called The War on Drugs and it's by Lava for Good. We've had a couple of their other podcasts on 
vanished in the snow. Bone Valley was also produced by Lava for Good, which actually won several awards for best podcast, which is super exciting. Maybe the war on drugs will soon. So war on drugs, it is a podcast that exposes the real world consequences of five decades of America's failed war on drugs. The co-hosts are comedian Clayton English and Greg Claude, who is a senior criminal justice fellow at Americans for Prosperity. And together they talk about this complicated period of U.S. history showing how the war on drugs has fueled over-incarceration, exacerbated addiction, and hampered economic progress. All of the above, basically. So, and welcome to the podcast tonight, Clayton English and Greg Glaude. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Thank y'all for having us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, 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 man. We're glad to have you guys get on, man. This is going to be an interesting conversation. But before we get into that, we usually ask our guests to bring in a little bourbon or whatever their cookie juice is, whatever they're drinking, and share it with our audience. So tonight, since this is a homegrown problem, the war on drugs, I brought in a homegrown distiller. And it's one of our favorites for Tima. It's our Dread River Distillery here in Birmingham, Alabama. Shouts out to our master blender. Ebony Major, who came onto our podcast and blessed us with a few. First uh, black female master blender. That's right. That's right. Here yeah. and, and right out of my city in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a delicious oh. pour. It's a little twingy on the first end, but on the back end, it's extremely smooth. So I love it. Fatima, what are you drinking tonight? I'm just drinking our favorite Angel's Envy. I just poured a little something real quick. It goes down there smooth. Go. Gotta yeah, love yeah. it. Gotta okay. love it. All right, guys, Clayton, what you sipping on over there? This is just a little tequila. Um, oh, it's tequila. a little, it's a little tequila left over from a concert me and my lady went to. What kind of tequila? So. What kind of tequila? Uh, this is uh, the Terramamba Reposado. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And That's was it a big concert? Oh yeah. Clayton was telling us before he came on, he went to the new edition concert. So yeah, that might that might show my age, but it was young people there too. But dude, it was cool. dude, was that awesome. that is they a are group classic. that transcends time. They them jokers, seems like it, man. They, they just was, they, my kids, my kids love new edition. You know, I grew up on new edition. And, and how old are your kids? Because I felt like it was some kids there that was too young to be there. So my <laughs> well, when I say my kids, they need to cover that little kid's eyes for that Keith Sweat. Right. Keith Sweat was on there too. It was a little right. was on there. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Twisted over. Oh man. Yeah. But my baby is 26 years old. So okay, cool. Got, they know, they're adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they through some good. shit already. They're fine. Right, right, right. Let's make right, sure, right. sure, sure the, the child protective services don't come and get me, you know. No, my kids are adults. <laughs> great, great. Night. Now, Greg, how about you? What do you got over there? So right now, unfortunately, I'm a loser and I'm drinking water at this point, but I did, I did might have had a, a little bit of something yesterday, maybe a lot of something yesterday. Uh, it's a bourbon called Prima Kentucky, and it was an old brand that they've kind of brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Jen Rutledge Distillery um, in Kentucky. It is um, it's 115 proof. It, is, it, it bites you, um, but it, um, it's really, really smooth. It almost like has like a creamy taste to it, like almost mm-hmm. like a melon. It's very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, and you're still your feeling age. it today. Just, you know, a little, little bit of tween on it. Yeah, but I'll, I'll battle through. It'll be so, fine. That you were so, celebrating. What were right. you celebrating? Well, I went to Penn State, alma mater. Um, we're known normally for our football team disappointing people, but pretty good. Uh, but our basketball team is normally irrelevant, but they made the NCAA tournament yesterday. So, yeah, my friends, so I yeah, decided, you know, we're going to celebrate this because it only comes about every 10 years. So, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Got to do it. 
Hey, I'm yes. an A's fan. I know when you win, you celebrate. Okay. <laughs> you gotta do it. Yeah. I'm an Orioles fan. Do. We had like one year, like you know, eight years ago. And yeah, you just you gotta do it. You just you gotta to do in. it. You may never see it Not again. Not always. Yeah. So it, it, it interests me. It seems like you two guys are from different areas. Am I correct? So tell me, how did y'all meet? We'll start with you, Clay. Man, um, we kind of met through this project at the beginning. I think mm -hmm. we both kind of just uh carving our own lane in our in our in our fields. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was doing stand-up. I had a comedy album out. Greg, he was doing, you know, social justice stuff, getting people wrongful convictions overturned, all that type of thing. And, you know, I guess this is my part of it because I can't speak for Greg, but Greg reached out to me because he was looking for somebody to kind of lighten the load of some yeah. of the heavy stuff. And he had heard some of my comedy and I think kind of spoke to him. And then when we talked on the phone, one of the things that he said that just like, I was like, oh, okay. Like he was like the war on drugs affects everybody, no matter who it is. Right. It doesn't matter if you do drugs. It doesn't matter if you're a drug user. It doesn't matter if you never seen anybody do drugs. It affects you in ways that you don't even know. And that resonated with me. And I think one of the things that I said that resonated with him, which was something that I said on my comedy album was, uh, it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've always kind of felt that way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. we just had a conversation. I don't know what we talked about, 30, 40 minutes. And it was yeah. just, yeah. So Greg, you reached out to Clayton. You found him. Uh, yeah, I was working with Jason Flom, who is the producer for Love for Good, yeah. the owner of them. Yeah, and he, one of his passions, you know, he's founded a bunch of different artists, mm -hmm. like, you know, Billy Eilish, Katy Perry, and, and a whole bunch of others. I mean, he's one of the big mucky mucks. One of his passions is wrongful conviction work and getting people exonerated being wrongfully convicted. He's a amazing guy that you know not only just podcast, you know wrongful yeah, conviction. He has, yeah. has wrongful convictions i was on there a couple times and so i kind of talked to him and said like you know i think one of the biggest societal wrongful convictions is the drug war and i think that'd be a great topic for a podcast we actually like searched for the url to see if it was open and we're like there's like three million podcasts and four on drugs has not been taken which is wow like the insane. title <laughs> yeah it's insane wow. yeah i mean there's a band called the war on drugs too i thought there'd just be like a fan one on that or like Someone just, right. we, I don't know, but we got lucky <laughs> on that. And so we kind of started a search and, you know, we listened to Clayton's comedy album. He was hilarious, but he also kind of, you know, had a lot of things that like made you think about the drug war. Like you said, it's not a war on drugs, it's a war on people. And then we chatted and yeah, like you said, 30, 40 minutes. I'm like, yeah, we just vibed incredibly well. I have like kind of the, the nerdy background and some of the policy intricacies. Mm -hmm. Clayton has like very in-depth knowledge, but also that lived experience of being in the South, you know, growing up in Atlanta, you know, really experiencing the drug war from a very different perspective than I did as a suburban white guy with a cop as a dad, uh, you know, just, just a little bit different, uh, you know, how I experienced the war on drugs. So yeah, we just vibed and understood that we came from different places, but really got along and had a lot of synergy on this issue. So yeah, it's been working well so far. Yeah, so far. It is, absolutely, guys. It's such a smart balance. I love that you notice Clayton's not only funny, but he's thought provoking and in, in what he's talking about and that subject matter. And it is important to, uh, you know, if that's what you grew up on and that's what you know, and it's affecting people around you, sometimes you got to bring it up at a comedy show too. get people mm -hmm. thinking um, you have, you have people listening and that's when it's important. So I love the balance that you have because Clayton, you're not just funny guy. I mean, you are funny, <laughs> but right, right. you also have an understanding. You have empathy and compassion for people who are going through the system and have been wronged by the war on drugs. And then you bring in Greg's expertise and his passion. It's just a really great balance to this podcast. I enjoy listening to it because 
you do want a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just sit there like you're sitting in a lecture or one of your classes in college where your professor's trying to explain everything to you. It doesn't sink in quite the same. And I've learned a lot of these things in the past. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. A lot of it I know, but there was so much I've learned from listening to the podcast. So much. And so one- That's crazy to hear. Yes, (laughs) yes. And so I'm sure even you both have learned some new things, especially because each episode you do try to incorporate a guest who's bringing in their expertise, which is what we like to do on our show, right? We can do the research and we may have the knowledge, but it's always nice to bring in somebody who really works in that field. And so I love how you guys do that. Your episodes range from everything. And this is why everybody's got to go listen to the war on drugs because it ranges from the fentanyl epidemic to marijuana and how a lot of states it's still criminalized. And so there's still a lot of people convicted of it, mandatory minimums. So what have you guys individually, Greg, we'll start with you. What have you learned yourself that's surprised you from doing this podcast? Yeah. So I like, just like you, like I work in this world, like I work in drug policy, I work in criminal justice policy. So like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, you know, the beats of kind of some of these things, mandatory minimums and some of the origins with, you know, Nixon and things like that. Um, the thing that kind of shocked me the most was just how so much similarities between each one of our kind of like, whatever the sexy drug war is of that day today, it's fentanyl right now, you know, it was the opioid epidemic before that it was crack epidemic before that, then kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, marijuana, LSD, all these things. And going back even to opium, you know, you know, we kind of think of Nixon starting the war on drugs, but it really started like the 1918s after prohibition, you kind of had all these, you know, federal agents and all this money in this huge government agency that essentially was worthless. And you had a leader there, Harry Anslinger, who it's not just like he was like an unknown race. He was an overt racist where like other racists were like, hey, Harry, like take it easy. Hold on, buddy. Like mm-hmm. it was that sort of thing. And how, you know, they're all a little different, but they're all exactly the same. It's some enemy that we want to target, some substance that we're able to criminalize. Propaganda comes out. You use these stories to kind of say this embodies the drug war. And then we start cracking down on it. And then we see a much worse consequence because of our criminal justice approach to the drug war. So I guess I just never thought of it in that way. I'm always like so glued to like, all right, this policy is not good. That policy is not good. What's the bill of the day going on here? But then you kind of take, take a step back and look and you're like, oh, holy shit, we've just been doing the same crap over and over mm-hmm. again. It's almost like it's so freaky how the similarities, I mean, we kind of go through that in the, the podcast and you start to really pick up on these like very, you know, similar, you know, facts and patterns and storylines. It's, it's pretty nuts. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me. And the key component in all of them is incarceration, 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 which is mind blowing because you you see research and you see other countries. And I, th- I think it was on your podcast that I heard about Portugal basically decriminalized everything and the crime is down. The crime rate dropped and you hear about this. Let's decriminalize and you'll see the crime rate drop. People think that, how is that possible? But it is. And it's not just because you've decriminalized drugs or prostitution or anything of that nature. It's all connected. It's not because now it's no longer criminalized. Of course, there will be less people in prison. No, the crime rate drops. So not incarceration drops. The crime rate comes down. It's all interconnected. And the fact that we keep doing this over and over in different ways, right? The Sentencing Reform Act, mandatory minimums and all of these different ways we keep trying to create this war on drugs and incarcerate people who have addiction. Right. And we know you can't incarcerate yourself out of addiction. And so 
how, why we keep doing these things is kind of, you almost think it's just all conspiracy. It's just like yeah. people say the new Jim Crow, or it's just a way to keep a lot of people off the streets and make profit because prisons are profit. What do you think, Clayton? What, what has really triggered you in all this? Yeah, no, for me, it was part of it was learning things that I didn't quite know. And that's more on the addiction side and how we treat addicts. But also a lot of it was confirming what I knew, but I just didn't have the pieces to put it together. Like mm -hmm. it always felt to me like the war on drugs was racist, you know? And then I look back at Harry Anslinger and what he's starting. It's like, okay, this is the playbook that they're cooking up all this stuff from. So it came from a racist place. So there's a reason it feels like this. And mm -hmm. now I think with decriminalizing things, I think people hear it and they just hear, okay, drugs are illegal. Everybody can do drugs, but I don't think they factor in the reallocating of resources and actually helping these people and getting them treatment and actually making these junkies functioning members of society and mm -hmm. not just somebody that we got to worry about stealing our catalytic converter. You know what right. I mean? So, right. yeah. so I have a question that kind of relates to what you just talked about. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm a 27 year law enforcement officer. And I do believe that we have problems that need to be addressed within our, within my profession. And the only way that we can do that is by talking about those problems and having a conversation about it and be willing and open to accept some of the changes that come forth through those conversations. So what you just said actually brings us into another question that I have. How do you think, and, and this is for you, Clayton, how do you think the war on drugs has impacted communities of color within the United States? Man, I think it's, it's been terrible because I think if you just look at crack, I mean, mm -hmm. we're not even talking about before you know, because it was always drug use. That was always going to be a part of it. There was going to be some weed. There's going to be some cocaine. There's going to be some heroin. But I just think that the impact of crack and the fear that, you know, people had and the laws that were able to be created around that mm -hmm. and just the disparity between cocaine and crack and having a reason to over-police an area, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, th I think it's been devastating. I mean, there's a lot of people's lives have been destroyed. And I think we talk about it on the podcast and it goes back to what Greg said. It doesn't matter who you are, the war on drugs can affect you. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I think it was an old lady in Philadelphia who complained about people selling on her block, complained told the police people were selling on the block. They had been surveillance the people. They saw them do a hand-to-hand -hand transaction in her yard and they came and they took her house because they said it was used, they used civil asset forfeiture to take her house. And if it wasn't for, you know, people like Greg who fight for stuff like that to take her case for free, then her house probably would have gotten taken. So I just think it's been the reason for a lot of, uh, a lot of just, corruption and destruction for mm -hmm. the community. Greg, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 been absolutely devastating. You look at the the generational impact that it has mm -hmm. on this when you're arresting people, you know, people that are struggling with addiction and essentially, you know, addiction, we see this rise in times of trauma. This is the reason why we're seeing opioid deaths, you know, increase dramatically during COVID and we're losing these social interactions. And then you essentially throw someone in a place that is about as worse of, if you had to create a place that would be, um, you know, the worst for someone that's struggling with addiction, struggling with social stigmas, all this stuff, it's prison and it's jail. And so 
you know the impact that someone just being in jail for a couple of days has on it, let alone if you actually go to prison or incarcerated and you have to come back out, you're probably already struggling. You're coming from a lower socioeconomic area, um, you know, and now you're leaving mothers and fathers, you know, their children are back home. And so the impact that that has of just, you know, arrests and incarceration and fines and fees and all these other things uh, that it has, the distrust between law enforcement communities now and that you don't have that when you're, you're kind of essentially, you know, communities feel harassed by police. Now they're not going to talk a lot more uh, right. when actual serious stuff happens. So there's all these different things that actually really have a lot of roots and origins in the drug war um, that, that you don't really think about. But it's absolutely generational. You know, I, I live in D.C. now, too. And, you know, you kind of start seeing when a lot of the crackdowns were coming on in the 80s and 90s and, and things like that. And now those kids that were being born in these places where they were losing a lot of their fathers and mothers, you know, you're seeing carjackings occur by kids as you know, young as 12 and, and things like that. And it's like, what's been going on in this community? And a lot of this has been generational. It's been 20, mm -hmm. 30, 40 years in the making. And we continue to do the same thing over and over again. And so I, I just see the absolute damage and carnage and the lack of desire to actually look at the evidence and want to change things. I mean, the amount of drug treatment that we actually have in this country on the outside is, is very minimal, let alone on the inside. You know, it's just been um, I'm devastated. There's really no desire to actually help the people. Um, it's much more to villainize. And that's why I think it's something that, you know, I said and Clayton says is it's never been about drugs. It's been about other things. It's been about power. It's been about money. It's been about authority. Um, and that's what we're seeing. If it's not, um, we're doing a horrible job at the other end. So that, that's, right. that's the impact that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And well, and we know that the creation of these federal mandatory minimums Really, that's how it's disproportionately affected the, the population of people of color. So basically what these mandatory minimums took away was the power from judges, the power from prosecutors to have any discretion and look at a case individually. And so instead, it was all these politicians who got together. And it, this is after a rise in crime in the 1970s. Everybody's panicking. Right. And let's figure out how to really punish. Right. And. So they come up with these mandatory minimums, they're arbitrary, and they just have to go across the board. So you would think for those people who say, well, how could this disproportionately affect people of color? They're mandatory minimums and they apply to everyone. Here's how it happens is it's a mandatory minimum. But guess what? Studies have found that blacks and Latinos, they are subject to more severe punishments than white people. And so what's happening is they're not getting the minimum. They're getting more than the minimum. But the minimum was enough. It was already harsh. And it wasn't taking into consideration any anybody's personal life, what was going on, the circumstances surrounding it, how they grew up, the resources they had or they didn't have. When you're not able to take into consideration any of those things, and it's just an arbitrary sentence, that is what is very dangerous. And that is how this has disproportionately affected Blacks and Latinos. And that's why we have more in prison. And it's a lot of the war on drugs problem. And we're talking about nonviolent crimes. Okay, everyone, I know a lot of people may not like drugs and they may not like people possessing drugs and drug trafficking and all of that. Yes, it leads to a lot of crime in our country. But what you have to remember is it's a nonviolent crime. And so your car being broken into, things being stolen, that's that's bad. That's terrible. Nobody likes it. I don't like it. I live in Oakland. But at the same time, these are a lot of people who are addicted and th that this is who is getting arrested constantly and thrown into prison. You think throwing people in prison who have addictions is going to stop an addiction? 
Um, Not at all. Yeah, drugs get into prisons, everyone. They yeah, they I get mean, they find their way in there. The best example of that was during COVID when they shut visitation down completely and. Uh, the drug trade in prison still came in. Yeah, it was. Uh, right. yeah, business was still booming uh, for sure. Well, and you guys had love this author. My husband's reading his book, Stolen Focus, but Johan, yeah, and amazing, amazing. He wrote Chasing the Scream, and he talks about how connection is how you can really, if somebody is has an addiction issue, connection is what's going to help them yeah. mm -hmm. rehabilitate, not the isolation. Of addiction, right? Yeah, not prison, and so. It's like knowledge is power, but people, if they don't know these things, if they're not listening to this great podcast, War on Drugs, where they're learning that incarceration isn't fixing the problems, then yeah, we get people voting for more incarceration, right? Right. Great. You mentioned yourself, you come from the suburbs, you're a white guy. This isn't something that really grew up affecting you in the way you may think, because it does. But how, how did you get involved in all this and what makes you so passionate about it? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up outside of, of Baltimore and Annapolis. And so we'd always get like, you know, the, it was WBAL, you know, the, the Baltimore city news coming in. So I'd always see it at my house and just be, you know, drug arrest, this arrest, that arrest. And you just kind of see that part of it. And then, you know, the bad guy goes to jail and, you know, you're a 17 year old kid. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, now we're safer. We're good. And so you just kind of move along with that kind of rhetoric um, and understanding. And um, I was able to work in the pardons office um, in DC during law school. And that was kind of my first exposure to like the other side of the drug war, um, where I saw these petitions from people that, you know, messed up, um, either, you know, try to rob a CVS to get more opiates or did something else with brokerage, you know, all these different things or did some drug transactions. Um, and then I saw the sentences coming out of it, you know, 10, 20, 30. I remember vividly this guy robbed three CVSs. He was an Iraq war veteran or his ACL. Once he started getting addicted to him, they cut off his supply of prescription. And so then he starts getting desperate. And so he robbed three with a gun. I go, all right, this guy had to do some time. He had to take for responsibility. This, this is a crime. But the mandatory on that was 55 years. He had two kids and a wife. And mm. you know, you're seeing the little letters mm. from the kids that are drawing out there. The judge was like, I hated giving him the sentence. You know, you look mm. at the warden. He's saying he's a model inmate. You know, he messed up and he just needed help and treatment. And there's nothing they could do about it. I remember talking to my supervisor go, this seems like a exact, you know, person that we'd want out. And they kind of laughed me off. And that was really the first time I saw, oh, shit, what are we doing? Like, what's going on here? And that's when I just kind of started digging into it. And then I started thinking of myself and the advantages that I had. And when, you know, cops would bust a party, you know, that we would have like in a field over on the Eastern Shore and there would be weed or, you know, someone was, you know, you had all these different things that were going on. And like, we just didn't have the same treatment that was going on too. And I just thought about, I had my my nucleus with my parents all there and everything. And just like, I had so many advantages and I'm like, what if these were all taken from me? What if my dad would, and it just really made me think a lot more about this. And that's really where a lot of my passion started going into it. So then I was a practicing attorney and in fact, you may relate with this, like I hated it. And so I wanted to get out and I kept kind of getting dragged back to this. Like I want to start doing policy work. And so I started mm -hmm. working for a place in, in Austin uh, doing kind of lobbying and advocacy on drug policy. And that was like in 2015, I really hadn't looked back. Um, it's just policy something that, you know, where it's at. If you want change and you're outraged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it could be frustrating as hell because things don't, not only do they not move forward very quickly, sometimes they move backwards, um, but can't imagine doing anything else. Um, and you know, doing criminal defense work, you, I know you know, where it's just like, 
you have those good days, but you almost always feel like almost a little bit helpless sometimes. You're like, there's so much going on that's wrong. Um, and so luckily we'll never be out of work. So that's good. Yeah, that's kind of a lot of my, where my origin story on this one. Yeah, it is. I enjoy it. I enjoy being in court. I enjoy fighting for people. I enjoy being the person that can tell them we're going to do everything that we can to fight for you and to make sure that you don't lose everything, your family, your children, all of these things, because everything's affected when you're going through criminal proceedings, right? So I have this counselor kind of personality. I think most lawyers do. Um, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. There are so many times you leave frustrated because of the system that you have no control over a lot of it. And right. especially with a lot of these mandatory minimums and different things that, you know, your clients are going to have to go to jail. You know, it's not what's best for them. The judge may not have allowed a rehabilitation program or anything like that. I will say I've been an attorney many years here in the Bay area, I've seen some wonderful programs come about where a lot of my clients who have addiction issues, we go through rehabilitation programs. We go through the re rehabilitation court and in that court, you know, judges congratulating them for every time they come back, they're doing great in their program. They're not having any other offenses any usage, all of those things, but it takes a lot of work and it's yeah. a lot of resources from our justice system. So not every county wants to do that. It's just mm -hmm. easier to throw people in prison and jail. But the, those little things are what give me hope, seeing those judges there and they're going, you did a great job. I'm proud of you. But I do know it's hard for my clients and it makes me so sad, so sad when I think about how many clients, how many young people I've buried throughout the years that I've lost to drugs. I've been to more funerals than I want to of my own clients who they're young people and started with opioids. And next thing you know, black tar heroin getting into a lot of the suburbs and they get addicted and they're trying to have a future and they're going off to college. And then they're bombarded again with this lifestyle that is kind of normal for a college kid. But for somebody who has these prior addiction issues, it can be yeah. fatal. And so it is, it's really sad to see, uh, but you just one day at a time, right? When you're doing this kind of work. Yeah, for sure. I can't imagine, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, y'all yeah, y'all have to go through it, but y'all are doing good. Like, I, I feel like I do all right because I make people laugh, but y'all are doing actual <laughs> tangible good as making people's lives better. So find some solace in that. That's good. Right. Thank you. Yeah. But no one's going to listen to my ass, Clay, without you. Right, like exactly. My dog, my dog spits out the, the allergy medication I gave her in the morning, unless there's turkey hey, right man. You're just, you're hey, just that turkey, man. Yeah. I didn't want to say it either, but you're funny too. But just, just your line of work doesn't allow your humor to shine through. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have some wild dichotomy. Like, we were out, you know, I was out in LA. We were doing some promotion work. You know, I'm talking to, like, very old progressive but I was getting on a plane to Dallas to speak to like conservative lawmakers on like messaging, like, please don't shoot people for dealing drugs. Uh, it's just like, right. Oh, it's a really weird transition. Uh, a lot of my clients. <laughs> yeah. Something that was shocking to me is going across country and realizing, wow, it's just, it's very different here. When Chris talks about how his students oftentimes can be harassed over marijuana I just want to scream. You've got college kids who are doing what they got to do and you're giving them a hard time. You're still giving our young people a hard time over marijuana. They are of legal age and it's mind blowing, but I got to remind myself, you are in California, you are on the West coast. It's a lot 
different, but Mm -hmm. these states are so behind. And the, the podcast you had on marijuana was so enlightening because what a lot of folks forget is marijuana is still a schedule one drug. And so because of that, people are still, yeah, yeah, federally, you're still going to be arrested. I get a lot of clients. They ask me, Hey, um, I'm going to fly, you know, the East coast. Can I take my weed? I'm like, no, (laughs) you can't. I'm sorry. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Can you and not get caught? Maybe, but it's still illegal because that's, it's federally illegal. Okay. So until we decriminalize marijuana on the federal level, you don't want to travel with it out of your state. But what's mind blowing to me is that we are still dealing with this problem. And when we know the medical benefits, actually, we don't know all of the benefits because right. we know that it's not fully researched. That was something yeah. that they mentioned on the podcast, right? Be knowing what the weed actually does or what it could do for medicinal purposes. Like most of the weed that's studied, I think all comes from Ole Miss and it's a strain they've been growing since probably the fifties. Weed mm. is different yeah. now. Like it's yeah. got right. a few, like yeah. it's a few upgrades, you know, there's yeah. been a few, uh, you know, system upgrades since then. So. And you don't you know, need to be yeah. a scientist to know that it has some benefits, right? But yeah. imagine if we could fully research it. Imagine if we could understand all the benefits of it. Yeah. And if we could just have like an honest talk about not only the benefits, but you know, how to use it wisely. Like we understand with alcohol, like Mm -hmm. you don't go, you know, sometimes you go into marijuana, it's just everything's maybe 95%. And that's going to be a lot different than, you know, you having the the mids at Old Miss. Like that's a completely different experience. It's like you go to a liquor store and all that was on the shelves is like Bacardi 151 and Everclear. Like, Mm -hmm. and no one knew that, you know, like we, like, let's be honest about what's going on. It's crazy. And you bring up the scheduling. I think that's kind of one of the crazier things too, that like weed is a schedule one and then cocaine is a schedule two. Yeah. Explain that to people, Greg. Yeah. So the way that things are scheduled, so schedule one just means there is no medical benefit whatsoever, which is insane. Um, You know, we can debate about, you know, how much of a medical benefit marijuana is, but obviously I think pretty overwhelming that there are medical benefits so it's crazy like that and then schedule two is the lesser one um of that and you can allow for certain medical not even medical benefits but it allows for more testing and things like that but it's still prohibited and you can still be incarcerated for it but yeah i mean if that doesn't show how messed up the system is and how arbitrary it is like i don't know what does like would you rather be hanging around someone you know societally that's just cocaine or weed like Let me just just add this in from a police perspective. I've dealt with every drug there is. Every drug. What's your preference? What's the worst? The the worst (laughs) one? Who's the worst kind of person to deal with? The worst one are these new opioids. The people that are on these drugs sometimes, and what is the drug that they can buy? The, uh, The little fake marijuana that they oh the uh spice the spice spice in the k2 oh we did a whole case on that chris that is the worst drug that i have Mm -hmm. seen the way that it affects certain people it is the worst that i've seen in in my entire career burning brain cells and it's it's legal legal. and it's legal yeah you can you can buy it at corner stores but we had a guy i remember this specifically it was right before i retired actually we had this one kid man and he had a whole freaking bag of it but he had like 30 felony warrants out for his arrest we were looking for him and we caught him and we took him into custody and he had been in our custody when we first picked him up he was perfectly normal perfectly normal and he stayed in our car for about 15 minutes while we were gathering paperwork and talking to witnesses and things of that nature and he got to a point where he went into almost convulsions 
because you have to smoke that stuff. Once you get on it, you have to smoke it every like 15 or 20 minutes if you if you get really, really bad on it. And he went into convulsions and ended up kicking his way out of our car, trying to run. And he wasn't trying to run to get away. He was trying to run to get back to the drugs. So yeah. spice has been one of those drugs that I've seen that has affected people in 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 terrible, terrible ways. But I want to talk about something that you guys brought up on your podcast that I listened to. And I thought that it was kind of mind blowing for me as a law enforcement officer. Yeah. You talk about how in the next few years, heroin will be no more in our mm-hmm. society. And that was kind of mind-blowing because, you know, I kind of responded like Clayton did. I'm like, ain't that, ain't that a good thing? That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right? great. Right. But then when you broke it down, it told us, no, it's going to be replaced by something much, much worse. And I don't want to explain it. You you talk about it, Greg. Tell us tell us about the, that portion of the podcast. Why is yeah. heroin going to be out of our country in just a few years? It, it's it's kind of crazy. And it, and, it, and it goes back to the drug war. Like, Spice probably doesn't exist if there is a nice, well-regulated cannabis industry across our country that, that is going on because this mm-hmm. is this comes from that because people mm-hmm. want stronger drugs, cheaper drugs, synthetic drugs. And that's what's going on with fentanyl right now. Mm-hmm. And so fentanyl essentially is just, you know, if I 30,000 foot, it's heroin on steroids. It's an opiate. Um, the thing that is attractive to dealers is that you don't need an opium field. You don't need poppy fields to, to make it. So there's not a farming aspect to it. Cocaine, it comes from coca leaves. So you have to have a huge farming agricultural thing. Um, even, you know, methamphetamine, a lot of it comes from ephedra, which is the ephedra plant. Mm-hmm. Um, you can now make that synthetically, which is now why methamphetamine is becoming a lot uh, hotter of a drug too. But, you know, you have no, you don't have to do any farming. It could be done in essentially, you know, like a trailer with two people. It's all synthetic. A lot of the chemicals are actually legal. So you're able to have these shots come from Mexico. You have a much smaller, more potent product. And so that's what's coming in. And so I think a lot of people actually think like fentanyl is just getting accidentally mixed in or just being mixed in to make it stronger. Mm -hmm. No, addicts are asking for it by name. If you're a dealer and you're not giving fentanyl, they don't want it. Heroin is like, it's like baby formula. I mean, for a lot of these folks. And so this is what's happening right now. So that's why heroin's really on the way out. It's a lot more costly to create. It's a lot more larger of a quantity to actually have that potency to it. Um, so there's much more risk. And, you know, you're not getting as much bang for the buck on a fentanyl. And the addicts want it now. Yeah. They literally call this stuff like Death Wish and murder. And they're asking for it by the brand name. It's not like they're hiding, you know, what this might do to you. Like, right. it's actually the charm and attractiveness of it. And, like, I don't know why we're surprised by it. You go to, like, a store and I was looking for, like, you know, like a bottle of water. Now they have stuff called, like, you know, death wish water, like death water and things. Like, we're all, like, we just want something to, like, maybe borderline kill us. I don't know what's wrong with this, but that's even not addicts. But that's why heroin's kind of on its way out. And this is what the drug war does. You get stronger drugs, you get cheaper drugs. And, you know, cartels and, and other dealers are, there's always two, three steps ahead. And so yeah. as we stop on this, they, they just shift, you know, trains. You know, we see all these big drug busts that happen. And I'm sure you're familiar with this, Chris, where you get the drugs on the table. A lot of the times, those are good things for the cartel. Sometimes they tip those into Border Patrol or they tip those in because then they bring a bigger, you know, stash right behind it. I mean, that happens right. all the time. And so you're yeah. just losing this battle. And now you're thinking about fentanyl and it, it's the supply side war to this is just going to completely be lost again. I mean, this is what we try to do. You're never going to stop this coming in. That's, that's really why everyone's on out and why fentanyl's a popular drug today. And we'll see what comes, you know, after. It's absolutely terrifying. That episode 
-hmm. about fentanyl. Right now, it's the most important thing to talk about. It is affecting whether you know somebody personally, you definitely know somebody who's lost somebody to it or Mm -hmm. who is addicted to it. Right now, overdoses in the United States are at an all-time high, and that is because of fentanyl. It is a terrifying drug, and we can't warn people enough. In the podcast, they talk about how all it takes is just a few extra little, like if you're thinking of salt, it's just a few extra grains that are mm-hmm. in that one little hit you're taking. And that's it. I recently lost my brother and I've lost a- another brother oh, way back in the Sorry. past. And so, um, thank you. And so I'm, I decided to join this Facebook group for people who have lost their brothers and it helps a lot. It's wonderful. Everybody talks about their loss and you feel like there's somebody you can relate to. One of the most devastating things that I keep seeing over and over again are people posting how they're losing their brothers to fentanyl. All these young, young, beautiful souls with so much potential that are being lost to fentanyl and these grieving siblings. And when one person will write a post, so many other people will comment and say, I lost my brother to fentanyl. And all I can think is, oh my gosh, you know, in a way I'm grateful that that's not my experience of how I lost my brother, that's devastating. But I'm also just thinking, okay, this is one little group of people across the nation. And that's the number one cause of death in the group that I'm seeing lately is these fentanyl overdoses. Mm -hmm. You just need to be very careful because you don't know how much is being mixed into it. Yeah. The days of recreational use are over. That's what we kind of talked about on the episode. And that's, you know, that's scary for the magic bullet. I have no idea about that. Yeah, Talk about that. Right. I'm, I'm sure they're pumped about that. Yeah. Um, wow. they go in a lot of these, like, you know, um, you know, trap houses where they're, they're mixing this stuff and yeah. the magic bullet is cheap. It's a powerful motor. And so yeah. they're putting, you know, all the, the things together. So either with this, like a mixture of fentanyl and heroin, cocaine, heroin, whatever it is. The problem is powders don't really mix together like that. Like, you know, pharmaceutical company, they'll spend millions and millions of dollars on research and development to make sure that like each one of their pills is identical in quantity and dosage. Like cherry down the street running the trap house is not doing a lot of R and D. And so they kind of mix, but powders are really mixed that way and they're all white powders. And so you'll have like, you know, some batches will have a lot more than others. And that's what's going on. So even if you have someone that's trying to like, because obviously dealers don't want to kill their, clients but right. so even if they're trying to do it the right way like they're gonna fail so like you go in these places and there's 40 50 magic bullets um you know laying out there um all in a row mixing this stuff up and yeah um there's I no guarantee all it i mean when you're mixing it and then you sort yeah. it some are gonna have more and yeah it's yeah. a gamble it is it's a russian roulette anytime and, and the, yeah. now you're going to be doing cocaine or any drug that it is a white powdery substance and that possibly has fentanyl. You are playing Russian roulette, right? Yeah. Even guys- with the pills, even with prescription pills, because they're pressing up their own pills nowadays. Right. Yep. Like yeah. that's that's the that's the other scary thing, especially for these people with uh, you know, the Percocets and the Zans and all those things. Like you, you guys talked a little bit, well, you talked a lot about it. And actually, you know, when I listened to your podcast, you talked about how if a person dies by taking some of their drugs, it's not a bad thing. In, in most cases, it's almost like advertising, to, right? Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to yeah. junkies and the dealers yeah. and yeah, people on, yeah. They're wow. Like that's how good it is. That's how good it is. Yeah. Somebody overdosed, so it's so good. They, they or they can, can't handle it. Like I'm on a better right. level. It's like, yeah, you're in college, you see like someone puking after or whatever. You're like, oh, that person's, yeah. 
Like right. I have to deal with this. Like, yeah, right. yeah I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. What is but, happening in our society that we're looking for a fix that can almost kill us? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. we are, we are absolutely desiring connection and we're in need of it. Whether we think we need it or not. If you are turning to all these substances, you are in need of connection. You are in need of some mental health resources absolutely. because that is not the way. And I'm terrified for parents of young people right now. Because I know that there's a lot, especially depending on where you live and if you're in college or something like that. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I grew up a church girl, right? So although I'm very aware of what happens in the world, I was also very sheltered and very afraid. I never really did drugs at all, cocaine or anything, because I always thought I was going to be the one person Mm -hmm. that like, you know, would totally overdose. And so I never touched it. And, um, I mean, you know, marijuana, but to us in California, marijuana was like, it was better than smoking cigarettes. I'll be honest. Uh, so, but California sober. <laughs> California, that's what they call it. California sober, no alcohol or hard drugs, but marijuana. Yeah. Mushrooms, right. yeah. Um, and yeah. so I remember I went to law school and it was just like a thing. Like everyone in law school is just doing Coke and they're like, oh, here you go. And I'm looking at it like, absolutely not. I don't do that. And I remember it was a few years ago, a colleague of mine could not believe I've never tried it. And I said, I have many reasons and in learning from my job, I've seen the way it's destroyed people's lives. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. But the fact that for other people, it's just such a recreational drug and it's so accepted is also terrifying because Mm -hmm. now having fentanyl mixed in, once again, you just don't know. You can be a professional. You can be a college kid. You could just be somebody trying to have a good time on a Friday night and then that's it. So you don't want to mess with it. It's dangerous. And we're going to keep seeing this problem of overdosing rise and rise. Speaking of me not doing drugs. So I wanted, uh, I love that I'm telling this to a podcast full of guys right now, but it's actually pretty funny. So I'm, I'm going through labor and I wanted, you know, I'm Kelly girl. I'm like, I'm going to do ah, this natural, like, crunchy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take any drugs. And so the first two days they're inducing me and they put this, they put this thing in you guys. It's called the Foley balloon to expand you. It's quite crazy. And it is painful. And so they put it in me twice to make sure it works the second time. And I am in excruciating pain. I am in so much pain. I want to do every drug possible, but I'm trying to stand my ground. And I told my husband, remind me of the plan. Remind me of the plan. He's like, you said natural, you said natural. And so I'm in the midst of just this. I I can't even sit still. I'm in so much pain. And a nurse comes in and she says, you know, I know we can't give you the epidural. You're not quite ready to deliver, but in the meantime, can we give you morphine or fentanyl? And I just looked at her and I'm like, what? And she's like, would you, would you like some morphine or fentanyl? And this goes to show how much I didn't know that a lot of women going through labor take that because I just looked at her and I thought, I'm sorry, I couldn't have deli meat or freaking sushi for the past three months. <laughs> you want to give me fentanyl? Right? No, yeah. Like my right. mind was blown. I looked at my husband and I'm like, fentanyl? Dr. Thompson's like, chopping up some lines if you're interested. Right, right. right. Here, right. I just said like, no, no, like just get out. And uh, eventually I passed out from the pain and I'm going to give that shout out to God because it's the one time I prayed this like prayer that worked instantly. I was like, just help me pass out. I can't, I, God just help me. And I passed out. And the nurse yeah, came back in later and she goes, I was asking the other nurses who gave you the fentanyl and they said, nobody did. And I was like, no, that was all God. I just, <laughs> but the yeah, point is if when you have a doctor giving it to you, 
it works medically. It definitely mm -hmm. works. The problem is when you're buying it off the streets, that's not a doctor giving you a proper dosage. And that's how we end up with the overdosing. But mm -hmm. that's my story about how I, I didn't overdose. Guys, let me just let y'all know something about my partner. She has She's no filter or she does not have any limits. So once that's you right, a podcast, <laughs> you are family and she will let you know about everything. But that's why I love her. Just for all the all the women out there, because I yeah. don't want to sound self-righteous, I ended up getting that epidural and it was amazing. <laughs> now that, that I will say, I was like, just I, give it to me because I'm on day three, I'm dying. And yeah, that was oh, gosh, yeah. I thought you went through the <laughs> oh, yeah. entire thing. You know, I, I was bragging to, and I'm sorry, guys, this is a little personal, but my son just had a baby. Uh, his girlfriend just had a baby. And I'm a grandfather for the third time. Ah, congratulations. But, yeah, awesome. let's thank do you, it. thank you, thank you, thank you. But my, my son's girlfriend is a holistic, natural type mother. She doesn't want any drugs or anything like that. And I was like, look, the entire time I'm like, look, you can do this because, you know, your Auntie Fatima went through the entire thing and she had no drugs and she she made it through. So DJ and Jamie, if y'all are listening, I'm sorry. But look, we, we got a beautiful you know grandbaby. I take them again. I'm not even going to feel that labor the next time. Let's just on. move on. I felt it. It was, it's real. It's real. Yeah, I my, don't need to again. When Shanda was giving birth to our son, she uh, she didn't want it. And then it got too late to where they couldn't give her anything. Give it, right. But she wanted it. She was like, you know what? I think I want it. And they was like, yeah. Well, that was me because they kept coming in. I was like, no. And then I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, how long more could I labor? And the nurse said about four hours. I go, I'll have it. Yeah. And then, you know, a minute later, I'm going, where is it? Yeah. Where is it? And they're like, ma'am, the anesthesiologist. And suddenly I could not get it quick enough. I was I was starting to rip heads off. I was like, I gave in, get it to me now. Yeah. But I still had to How did we get here? I'm sorry, it's guys. Good stuff. Anyway, this is the war on drugs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that, that's how we do. That's how we do on the like Crack Juice podcast. Well, now oh, I feel man. like I know you two, um, you know, a lot, a lot better. Only after like 45 minutes. We're family now. We're all family now. We, got, now, we, got, we, got, we are family yeah. now. No, this has been awesome. And we love what you guys are doing with this podcast, because once again, this is about educating people and it is on uh, some serious information. And it's not just about the warnings for fentanyl. Another thing that we want people to understand that once again, we still have a lot of people in federal prison for marijuana, and that is not okay. You had somebody on from the last prisoner project. And I am a huge fan of the last prisoner project because they are working on getting a lot of those folks out of prison who have been incarcerated for years for just possession of marijuana or sale of a small amount. It would just blow your mind. People doing 20, 40 years. You guys had a guy on Edwin who had a-, a Edwin Rubis, yeah. Oh, just a devastating story. Yeah. And it's stories like that that people need to hear because it has impacted people's lives. And you're over there with your buddies just thinking it's a cool Friday night. Let me smoke some weed. Everybody's doing it. And that's fine but there are still people locked up for this and right. that part is is devastating right for that's sure. one of those conversations that we in, in the law enforcement profession we really need to sit down and think about having you know i can't say that i i've not i've arrested people for drugs i've arrested people before felonious amounts of marijuana but never a misdemeanor not personal use anything where you stop a guy he's got weed in his car i've never especially if i have my own discretion in making that arrest Never did it for marijuana because, look, 
I've been in law enforcement now almost 30 years. I'm at my 28th year in law enforcement. I'm still in the profession. I love my profession. I think it's done great things for people. It's done great things for me. It did great things for my mom, who was a, a, an ex-law enforcement officer. But I realize now with the way that our, our society works that we need to sit down and have some hard conversations because we are operating under archaic type laws that have unjustly placed people in prisons where they have generational effects on families. So mm. uh, I'm a huge advocate for it. Uh, I appreciate everything you guys are doing. I'm enjoying the podcast, guys. Please keep doing Thanks, what Chris. you're doing. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate doing. that. Mm-hmm. Thank uh, you, man. Guys, great. listen, this has been a y'all great, awesome. great podcast, man. I thank y'all for coming on to the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. Look, if there's anything that Fatima and I can do in our little small areas to help boost you guys, please let us know. And y'all, please always feel welcome to come in and sit down with us and have a drink and we could talk more about these crimes and some of the things that we need to do in society in order to make society a better place. Greg, you're in policy. What is something we can tell our listeners a way that they can help or how they can make sure that their voices are heard as local constituents? Yeah, I mean... You know, there, there's a lot of different things that, that are going on right now. You know, we're talking about, you know, fentanyl right now. And in a lot of states and jurisdictions, it's actually not only obviously legal to possess fentanyl, but the actual like testing strips or Narcan that can actually reverse the effects of these. Or you can have fentanyl test strips that can actually show if your drugs have those in there. We're not condoning to do drugs or anything. But the fact that the paraphernalia that could actually save someone's life um, is illegal and is actually considered a drug paraphernalia is kind of crazy. And so... So the strips that can tell and warn someone if fentanyl's in their drug to possess those strips, that's illegal. In in certain states, yeah. Certain in a lot states, of states, well. it still is. So some places are moving away from that. Some have always had it that way, but there's a lot of states, um, you know, that still have that. So that's a significant thing right there. Um, you know, talk, talk, you know, this is where, you know, you, you say like, call your congressman, but it really does work. Like I worked in legislative offices, particularly at the state level. If they get a few phone calls on a bill or mm-hmm. some sort of policy, like, People start to worry because, you know, you look at these, a lot of these small district primaries, I mean, they're only about a couple hundred votes here and there. And so if they know that someone, their constituency is paying attention to these types of things and they care, it really does matter. I remember if we ever got three phone calls on the same bill, it turned into a much bigger thing. And so actually being active and involved. And, you know, first, I think it shows to your point, like at that individual level, um, you know, understanding like, hey, Kara, what are you doing? What's your... What are your thoughts on doing, you know, uh, drug treatment? Judge, what do you know? You know, those are the big things. When you look at your local judges, your district attorney, your mayor, your city council, we talk about the president a lot. We talk about congressmen a lot. Those are the people that are actually impacting your day-to-day lives right. so much more than anyone else. And no one gives a rat's ass about those things. They really don't. You know, we all don't. So those are the people that actually, like, really make those laws. Talk to them. Go to town hall meetings. Go to these things. I know it's a pain. I know we're all struggling, but if you really do care, people do think about this stuff and they listen. I, I promise mm-hmm. you that. And so your voice won't matter. Those are big things. Um, there's a bill called the States Reform Act at the federal level that's going to try mm-hmm. to deschedule cannabis. Um, you know, our, our organization is very supportive about it. There's a lot of other things going on, but those are the things. Just start asking questions, start calling offices, get involved, get active. Um, that's the one message right. I always give. Because yeah, it affects wanna, you wanna... one way or another. I want to just add, but, you know, push what you just said, because that's very, very important. You know, just a couple of hours ago, I was on the phone with one of our state representatives about something that we are trying to get pushed on the uh, higher ed level. 
And it, 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 it doesn't have much to do. Well, it does have a little bit to do with the drug war, but it has to do more from a police aspect and uh, just talking to him. I mean, just talking to him for about 15 minutes changed the way that he wrote a bill that he just issued. So look, what he's saying is absolutely true. It's the local people that you need to be talking to. Don't worry. You know, I'm not saying I can't say don't worry about what the president is doing because we have to worry about what the president is mm -hmm. doing. But if you want to make change in your local, local area, talk to your DAs, talk to your yes. ass, talk to the people that are local to you, the people that are within most arm's effective. reach. And that is the most effective way to get change done. Mm -hmm. And change in your community or with people, you know, is taking a long, hard look at folks that you love. And if they are struggling with addiction issues, don't shut them out. That's, that doesn't help. Don't leave it to the law to handle them. You, you get involved, you stay connected because that's really what people need. And the moment you disconnect is when they're desperate and they can end up either a statistic in prison or a statistic in a casket. That's an important takeaway from all this as well. But we just love you guys. You guys are so awesome. The work that you're doing, Greg, feel free to tag us in anything policy work. Chris and I sure. love to publish and let people know where they can sign petitions or things of that yes. nature. If you have anything on Edwin also, you can tag us in it. Um, we'll do it and, for sure. And yeah. We can post that. We do it all the time for a lot of the folks that we're we trying to help that. and overturn their wrongful convictions yep. because those people are out there and they, they need love. They need connection. They need the support from outside. So we really appreciate having you guys on. No, we, no this thank y'all. Y'all were all blast. Yeah, thank y'all. And family, there you have it. Another amazing episode of the Crime and Cookie Juice podcast. Guys, join us again next week where we'll have more crime and more cookie juice. Good night, guys. <laughs>